Hello and welcome back to the st- <laughs> I did that again. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio podcast. I'm Mr. Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm all right, mate. How are you? I'm actually very good. I had a... Thriving off the wildness. I had cupcakes for breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) My first meal of the day was cupcakes. Wasn't that the name of your book? Uh, Eating cakes for dinner. No, no. Eating roses for dinner. That's something else. (laughs) Roses for dinner, cupcakes for breakfast. Is that the sequel? No, it's not a sequel. No, no, no. Is uh, that, that's something else? But um, I'm, <laughs> I'm good. I had cupcakes for breakfast. Shout out to Cupcake Berlin. They're doing a great job around the corner from me. And I'm also watching lots of action movies and horror movies. Oh, nice. And I've been watching horror movies so bad. You know, those horror movies are so bad. You start rooting for the bad guys. <laughs> like you want the devil to win. <laughs> is this uh, fresh off the back of our Supervillains Eleven? I don't think it is. I was watching Alien Covenant the other day, and I thought. Oh, I've still not seen that. How could Ridley Scott direct Sigourney Weaver, right? Someone so amazing and have such incredible female characters responding to trauma and tragedy. And then go and create a cast, like direct a movie like that, which basically is full of every negative trope. Where you're like, you just want the movie to end. Like, it basically, like, the women characters in that film were just so fragile. And I thought, this is really unfair, like depiction, characterization. I'm surprised Ridley Scott put that together. I've been watching loads of movies. I got Disney Plus last week because it launched yep. in Europe finally. And uh, it's really good. So you'll be proud of me because I finally watched Avengers Endgame. Oh, right. I watched The Last Jedi and I watched Captain Marvel and I watched all the available episodes of The Mandalorian. How good is The Mandalorian? Is it good? It's really good, man. I didn't know Pedro Pascal was The Mandalorian. I had no idea. I love him. Yeah, he's great. The really sad thing is I tried to get Disney Plus the other night, but my card didn't work for some weird reason. It was saying the territory wasn't right. Yeah, I don't know. You sure you're on the German one? I don't think I was, you know. Mm. But yeah, so I've uh, been doing some research for our Superhero 11, which is our episode for today. Cultural references, yes, let's go for it. Before we get into it, we need to do admin, obviously, because we have to do admin every week. Sure, sure. Uh, First of all, thanks to everyone who started listening last week. We seem to have a lot of people get in touch, say it was their first time listening. Hope you enjoy the weirdness. Yeah, it's so weird. <laughs> well, if, you, if you thought that was weird, wait till you know it's coming, but yeah. Also, don't forget that we're doing these episodes with companion pieces on FopMob, exclusively on FopMob. So you and I co-wrote this little article, which was kind of explaining the thought process behind the Supervillain 11. Yeah. We asked people to submit their own, and we're going to ask people to do the same for this episode. And what we'll do is we'll do Thursday's episode, reading out some of the ones that we got, and also we'll do a mailbag, I think. Sounds great. Because we've kind of gone a bit down bit down a hole on this one. You know, I feel like, uh, you know, referencing The Last Jedi, I feel like I'm Ray on the island and I've gone down to see what the fuss about that big hole is. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good reference, actually. Thanks, mate. Not the greatest movie, but a great reference. It, it's not the greatest movie, huh? No, it's not. It's not. It's and not. also, Endgame, I swear half that movie didn't need to be there. Uh, you know what? I think um, the movie was necessary as a catharsis in terms of that length. I thought the best half of the movie was the, was the first half hour. Could have just got Black Panther there from the start. Sorted it, made it 45 minutes long. Did you just say, give it Black Panther till the end of the season? Yeah, I did. (laughs) That's a crossover I'd love to see. Let's get into the 11. We need to get into the 11. All right. So our superhero 11, ultimate superhero 11, which will face off against the ultimate supervillain 11 that we picked last week. So we're going to do the same format, 4-3-3, manager, substitutes, home ground. Yeah. And we haven't actually properly discussed our thinking behind this, but I think we're kind of on the same page. Yeah, the criteria are the same. Again, not necessarily just ability, not necessarily just nice guys, because not superheroes ain't ain't all nice guys. That's true. There's no one formula. There's no one criteria. There is, although I've gone slightly in the heroic angle, to be honest. Although I'm weirdly, this is, for me, my selection process is fairly quick. It was funny, when you have criteria quite strict in your own mind, the names kind of announce themselves. So, Ultimate Superhero 11, assemble. Yes, brilliant. So, who have you got for goalkeeper? Ike Casillas. He's on my list. He's my guy. He just had to be him. Saint Ike. He's already got the name. It had to be him. Like, 
I thought to myself, how many, because if you think about the great teams he was part of, obviously Real Madrid and the Spain national team, how many other great goalkeepers have been that isolated at key moments? On the way to glory, you could maybe mention, I suppose, Peter Schmeichel and a couple of others, but how many great goalkeepers, both for their club and their country, have been that exposed at pivotal moments of absolutely huge matches? Casillas, Champions League final 2000, was in goal for that, not really threatened against Valencia. 2002 comes on because he, I think he'd lost his place to Cesar, so he was on the bench. Comes on as a teenager, I think, in the final against Leverkusen and pulls off all these incredible saves to preserve Real's lead. Yeah. And then we see him in 2010 and Robin gets so criticised for not scoring the one-on-one against um, Casillas in the 2010 final. But the save was actually astonishing because Casillas gave him nothing to aim at. And at the very last minute, he throws the dummy and then puts his leg out and saves with his leg, I think. And I think Casillas just has to be my guy. The consistency, the responsibility he took, he's my number one. There's also an element to a lot of the players that I've picked in this 11. And that's that in every superhero movie, they're kind of the underdog, if you think about it. Right, yeah. They start from humble beginnings as opposed to this huge kind of like dark organisation. If you think about Casillas, he's six foot. That's true. He's not, he's not, a, ta- he's not um, a titan. He's not huge. And no, also, also, if you think he came up against so many villains in his career and overcame them. And he's a kind of a Captain America figure. If you think of the fact that he would, you know, Casillas would catch the bus to training mm. for quite a while until like, you know, he was quite far into his time at Real before he stopped catching the bus. So he's an interesting character. He, he's my kind of Captain America figure if there was anyone like that in the, in the squad. The other, well, I had a few shouts. I had Dino Zoff. Great shout. But also, I realised that there are quite a lot of Italians in this team. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. In your, in your final 11? Well, in my selection. Another shout I had was Neville Southall. Oh, good, good, good. Good look, good look. I just think you need to, I think you need to win big. To be a, I think this is the thing. Yeah, I think that's, that's the thing. I think he was too culty. Without yeah. the, you need to be yeah. culty, but you also need to be, you also got to deliver. And I mean, he delivered for Everton. He didn't deliver for Wales because Wales weren't in a position to deliver. But I also think that a lot of people forget how good he was. He was probably what, top five goalkeepers in the 80s, maybe? Top three, I see. You could say yeah. top three. I mean, he was that good. And the other one I had was um, Lev Yashin. I mean, you can't go wrong with, with Yashin. But Casillas was my first pick. Yeah, Casillas was mine. Let's have Yashin on the bench then. I think that's a good shout. Yeah. Do you know what? This, this selection might end up being easier than the villains one. I think it will be. All right, so you went first on goalkeeper, so I'm going to go first on right back. Sure, sure. My right back, oh, this is, I've got three and I can't pick between them, you know. Let's go. Javier Zanetti. Wow. Wow. Oh my goodness. Yeah, you see that, that, that gives me, um, wow, okay, okay. Javier Zanetti, number two. Do you want my other two picks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cafu. Yeah, that was my guy. And Philip Lahm. Lahm, okay, Lahm I considered, but I wouldn't consider as a starter. Yeah, I agree. I think it's Cafu or Zanetti. So I think Zanetti, I was trying to think of a comparable character to Zanetti. He's actually Cap. Yeah. Driven by faith. Same haircut. Yeah, same haircut for the, like, the last 70 years. <laughs> In love with the same woman for the last 70 years. Never ages. Never ages. Brings glory back mm. at a time when the franchise, well, the empire of Inter was in ruins. Wins the first like, European Cup in how many years? Serves one nation, serves the Inter Milan nation alone. Actually, Zanetti is the only right back I could put above Cafu. Yeah. Like, he's such an incredible chef. Look, my regard for Cafu is so high, I put him over Carlos Alberto. Because Carlos Alberto yeah, actually had a, very, he had a very short peak, Carlos Alberto, that's the problem. As amazing as he was, if Carlos Alberto was my right-back pick, he'd be the captain of the entire team. Mm. But he wasn't. But Zanetti is the only guy. Zanetti never really had a bad season. I mean, think of this. Five Serie A's, four Coppa Italias, four Super Coppers, a Champions League, a UEFA Cup, and a FIFA World Club Cup. But you know what's funny? That's not even the most remarkable thing about him. That's the thing. Cafu, I measure Cafu by brilliant defender. Only person to play in three World Cup finals, I think. One of the players that brings the World Cup back to Brazil after 24 years. But weirdly enough, I feel that Zanetti's body of work, mm. I think it's Zanetti. Yeah, I do. I mean, I love, I, and this is for me, I, I love Cafu. Yeah, same. I mean, basically I had Cafu as an absolute shoe in right? And then 
I was trying to think of ways that I could leave Zanetti out over Cafu because I wanted Cafu in so badly and I just couldn't. You can't. It's impossible. No. Do you know what? That's incredible. Casillas, Zanetti, that's perfection. Okay. Wow. Amazing. Centre wow. back. Or do you want to go left back first? Left back. Maldini. Yep. And I'm not even, <laughs> no, no offence, no offence, but I will not hear any other views on that. I'm sorry to be authoritarian. I have no other views. <laughs> yeah. I think this one's going to be a little less controversial than our supervillain one. The choices already are so pure. Can I say something? Do you reckon these lot hang out with each other? I hope so. There's no reason why Cassia, Sinetti and Maldini are not part of the same WhatsApp group. There's no reason why those people are not friends. Yeah. Did you have anyone else at left back? No, I didn't even entertain it. It would have been disrespectful. No offence. It would have been disrespectful to name even anyone else in that connection. I put Roberto Carlos as a backup. I mean, that's lovely, but... <laughs> <laughs> the podcast equivalent of a pat on Roberto Carlos's head. Yeah, I had, listen, I, I had eyes only from Aldini. Yeah, I mean, you can't. You just can't. And this is funny because Roberto Carlos actually, as astonishing a player as he was, took a while to get going at left back. He did, mm. you know, to find his position, he was left, he was a left midfield first, then moved to left back and then he adjusted and he just obviously just took off very quickly mm. after that. But Maldini was just, I was re-watching um, actually a game that, that they'd lost to Juve. They lost 4-1 to Juve in the 97-98 season. I think uh, two goals for Del Piero, two for Inzaghi. And an astonishing moment when um, they make an attack. Juve make an attack. And Maldini is the last man back, almost as a sweeper. And instead of playing the ball back to the keeper, he plays a pass with it. The striker's chasing him and press, you know, Inzaghi is actually pressing him really hard. He plays a pass out of defence to the centre midfielder. Like, over his shoulder, basically. And I was like, that is, that level of calm, unreal, un- unbelievable. There's a brilliant interview that Xavi gives to Diego Torres, translated beautifully by Diana Christine, shout out to Diana. And Xavi is talking about players that play the Barcelona way. Mm. You know, this, he says, Barcelona basically players are masters of, they're masters of the space-time. Iniesta, Busquets, they understand space and time brilliantly. And he says, sometimes you see Barca players, players who could play the Barca system, but have never grown up in it. And he said, I look at Santi Cazorla and go, how the hell can Santi do this? Mm. Where were you trained? And it was like, oh, just here and here. And he got, Santi knew how to play that way. And Maldini knew how to play that way without any additional coaching, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think we've probably spent too long trying to explain why he's in there. But it's nice talking about him because he doesn't get talked about enough if you think about it. There was a period recently where I went back and watched a load of old Maldini videos and the one word that came to mind was just smooth. Yeah, Everything exactly. about him was smooth. The way he looked, the way he played, the way he passed, the way he tackled. Perfection. Okay. All right, so it's my turn for centre-back. Yep, yep. My first nomination for centre-back is Lillian Turam. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yes. Could have gone at right back, but I think he was a better centre back. Which is wild because at one point he was the best right back and the best centre back in the world, arguably. Yep. Yep. Taram it is. I don't even have a, that's not even, Your Honour, we have no further submissions. That's unbelievable. Again, Smooth made one mistake, one big mistake his entire career, which mm. was the offside, playing the Croatia player onside for the goal. Um, Asamovic playing in, Asanovic playing in Suker for the opening goal, the 98 semi final, World Cup mm-hmm. semi final. And that was the only mistake that Duran made that I can remember. But every superhero fails and goes, there's that montage where it, they go back to the drawing board and they, they re-up and they put a new plan together. And that, that was his moment. That was the moment where you think the, the movie's done and the bad guys have won. And he scores his only two goals for France in like 120 games, whatever it was. I don't know how many caps he had for France. Turam is such an incredible shout. You know, you got to think of this as a crew, right? And there's always one guy who's just the cerebral, almost like oracle figure. And that's what I imagine Lillian Taram to be. He's your Charles Xavier. He is. Because he's got so much to say about the game and about beyond the pitch. Okay, other centre-back? Can I throw this in? Yep, you go for it. John Charles. He's on my list. John John Charles Charles is straight in there. He's that guy. Absolutely. John Charles has all the elements of all the best centre-backs. Positionally perfect, dominant, physically imposing, extremely fast, unbelievable timing in his tackles and also a generosity of spirit, like the best centre-backs. The ability, I mean, like he almost has elements, he's almost the Venn diagram, John Charles, of Alessandro Nesta, Mm. Carlos Puyol. Charles is basically the kind of Venn diagram of Nesta and Puyol. 
I think he was ahead of his time in terms of a, a kind of style of centre-back, actually. Yes, very much so. He never got booked or sent off in his entire career. You know how some superheroes are, are almost like, they're almost crushed by their own moral compass. That's so true. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, he was kind of well known for not trying to kick the shit out of people. It was like his thing. Think of the players that he would have come up against playing for Leeds at that time and playing for Juventus at that time. Well, can I, can I throw something in as well? This is what's amazing about John Charles and why he was actually my first choice centre-back. Um, he, was, he was ahead of Turam. He was my first guy. Because I think you also have a sort of the overlap of Bobby Moore there as well. Yeah, Bobby Moore was on my list, actually. He, he almost made it for me. And it's funny because you look at Charles and you think, and this is going to get a bit romantic here and a bit sort of like, you know, roast into spectacles, but you know, we're doing, we'll do it anyway. John Charles, if you look at like the reputation of Brits abroad and culturally what his significance was, this is a Welsh guy who went to Italy, right? Mm-hmm. Where they pride two things in their football. The great goal scorers, they love their number nines and they love their centre-backs. And he was the best at both, arguably. Mm-hmm. Like world-class in two positions. John Charles could argue legitimately to be, to be like top five centre-back in the world and top five centre-forward at one point in his career. He could have argued to be both, right? That's an unbelievable... Can you can't even imagine that today, no. right? You can't imagine. And not just because players specialise, but because the skill sets themselves are so different. To go to Italy and be that embraced, both on and off the field, you know, in a way, he's almost like a, that's like a Zanetti type level of, mm. he's revered, right? Think what he did for the reputation of Welsh people and British people abroad. The fact that some like that, at that point in history, is remembered so fondly. Mm. I think his cultural impact, it's funny, we talk about like superheroes like having cult status. He had a cultural status, mm. right? That, that is another level of, of reverence. Yeah. And even when I was, when, you know, Charles, I was kind of like happy to do this this 11, because one of the reasons was, just as it was fun to name Diego Costa in the last one, it was so much fun to think. I remember thinking, I can't wait to name him in this 11. Yeah, same. I think it's, yeah. there's something so beautiful about paying homage to someone that special. Yeah, and I think that there's a bit of a theme, hopefully, that will go through a lot of this 11, is that there's a team element there. Yes. No matter how good they are on an individual level, but also there's a range of abilities. No one is just say, for example, a good crosser of the ball. Yes. I mean, should we recap quickly then? So we've got... Sure. Ika Casillas in goal, Javier Zanetti, Lillian Turam, John Charles, Paolo Maldini. That's our back five. Oh my gosh. Okay. And we should take a break before we get onto the front six. Let's do it. Can't wait. All right, we're back from the break. We've done our back five of our ultimate superhero 11. We have indeed. I can feel the complaints, Musa. Haha, <laughs> you know what? I don't care. These are unassailable. <laughs> unassailable. Okay, so it's my turn, right, to go first? Okay, just to explain what I've done before you start. I've picked a midfield three with one defence midfielder and two eights as opposed to two defence midfielders and a 10. Just to explain that's what I've done. That's kind of what I've done really, I suppose, although one of them is probably a 10, but I don't care. He's going in the team. Yeah. All right. So my first pick for our midfield three is Clarence Seydorf. He doesn't make mine. Oh. I love, I love that. Go on, go on your reasoning being, not that you need any, but still. A career of ultimate power moves. His whole career. Yes. Was rarely not one of the best two or three players in any team he played in. Yes. Throughout his entire career. Agreed. Made an absolute, one of the most gangster transfer moves of all time after the Ajax Champions League win and went to Samp. I love it. It's just the genius of it. The genius, the vision to go from Ajax to Sampdoria, to leave the European champions and go to Sampdoria. Yeah. Great club where he get many games, but wasn't like a European leader. That is I think in terms of transfer moves, the greatest power move of the modern times. I would agree. Well, considering he doesn't go in then, let's go through some other choices that we've both picked before we settle on a final three. No, no, no. I'm in tr- I want to hear more now. I want to hear more from you now because I'm good. You want to hear the rest of my three? Yeah, why not? All right. My other two first choices were Socrates. Doesn't make it. And my other first choice was Johan Cruyff. He makes it into mine. Are we putting Cruyff in? Yes. Cruyff is one of my eights, for sure. He's one of my eights. 
there's not even a not even a doubt in my mind he's one of my eights. And I love Socrates and he was on my short list, but he didn't make my starting eleven. And for so many reasons, Socrates is extraordinary. Um, but he didn't make my starting eleven. All right, so we've got Johan Cruyff is going into the ultimate superhero eleven. Yes. Absolutely. And we've got a few to debate. So yeah. let's go. Because I reckon there's a couple on your list that I've got on mine as well. My defensive midfielder is Obdulio Varela, the captain of the Uruguay team that won in 1950 in the Maracanã, and he won several championships of Peñarol, regarded one of the greatest captains of all time. You're so sneaky because I dropped him at the last minute. He's my guy. I just thought to myself, when it comes to it, if you want someone to be heroic, who can play at the highest technical level, who on and off the field is an absolute icon, technically accomplished, astonishing tackler, and the leadership to go into that environment, to go into the Maracanã and come out with that victory. And the team talk he gave at halftime, all of that, I'm just like, wow. Like he gave a talk about and he goes to talk to, the, to his players and they were like, look, don't imagine them as quarter of a million fans. They're like blocks of wood. Wow. Yeah, I, I know it's, it's stuff like that. I was like, it has to be, it has to be him. He'd arguably be my captain. He, he's, he'd be a candidate for my captain if he played in the, in the team. Do you know what? He's going in. He's going in. He's going in because I can't even think of a reason not to put him in. I couldn't. And I, I was the same. I was like you. I was like, there's all these other, don't get me wrong, like yourself. There were so many midfielders I had ideas for. And I was like, that's why it was weirdly easy to pick this team for me because I'm like, it can only be him. My last three is basically chosen as well, but go, go for it. Go for it. No, you know, no, you go because I'm intrigued. Alfredo de Stefano. I just, I don't see how I can pick a team of superheroes and then not pick a guy who combines the work rate of like the creativity of Maradona, the goal scoring of Pushkas, the elegance of Zidane. They asked De Stefano who most reminded of himself and he said Zidane and a player who his contemporaries described as the most complete footballer they'd ever seen. The only problem I have with De Stefano is the placing here because I moved him as one of my front three. See, I didn't, but I get that. That's fair enough. That's get, I get why you wouldn't, but. Who else did he have in midfield? I had Andres Iniesta as a superhero eight because he's done things in midfield that I've never seen any other number eights do. You know what? I would put Di Stefano in the front three if it meant having Iniesta alongside Cruyff. Oh my goodness, that is the magical. Yes, okay, Di Stefano in the front three. So we're putting Iniesta in? Yes. Yay! Don Andres. If you think about the underdog factor. Right. Javi and Iniesta should never have been able to dominate a midfield for as long as they did. Never. Or any athletic discipline, frankly. Any sport which required any level of physicality. They shouldn't have done that. I was trying to think who, what kind of superhero would he be comparable to? You're probably better for this than me. Do you know who Iniesta is? He's Doctor Strange. That's a massive shout. Xavi said that Barcelona players are masters of space and time. And I cannot name a greater superhero as a master yeah. of space than Doctor Strange. It's Iniesta. They called him the illusionist. Yeah. This is a man that quite literally dematerialized, disappeared. Yeah. He disappeared during football matches and that was a good thing. The Danny Parejo story. Yeah. For those who don't know that story, I went to watch, as I always tell everyone, I went to watch Barcelona once, Barcelona against Valencia, when Iniesta was still playing there. And three players, including Danny Parejo, the Valencia captain, I think at the time, tried to press Iniesta. In the left-back position. In the left-back position. Danny Parejo was so angry at their inability to do it that he threw up his, hand, his hands in disgust and frustration. Iniesta is Doctor Strange. Oh my goodness, this is so much fun. <laughs> this is so much... That's literally who he is, isn't it? That's him, that's him, that's him. All right, so you've, pro you've provided me with a little bit of a problem. Well, no, you haven't, because we're going to put Alfredo de Stefano in, right? Yeah, but I think that the wing that he plays on is really important. See, I think, he's a, I think he plays left. I agree with that. Yes, because the other guy's got to go on the right wing. Otherwise, they will come for us. So who are you going for right wing, Musaat Kwonga? Leo Messi. It has to be. It has to be. The Leo Messi thing here is as nailed on as the Diego Costa supervillain pick. For me, it's as nailed on as my number nine. I know your number nine. My number nine is so nailed on. My, yeah, my number nine is so nailed on. It's not even, yeah. I mean, is there any point even trying to explain why we're putting Leo Messi in this team? The only reason we would explain why he's in the team is explain which superhero he is. And I think he is Thor. Do you? Yes. Is it because he grew a beard? No, it's because he's been trying to drag an alien nation back to glory for so long. <laughs> and he did start out with long hair. And he's kept upgrading. He started out with long hair, looks better with short hair. Has a sterling beard. He has. I would challenge anyone to find a more dangerous weapon in the entire universe 
Dan Leo Messi's left hammer, sorry, left foot. Can you imagine him, uh, you know, when Javi takes over the Barcelona job and no one's seen Leo for five years? <laughs> he comes and then back. Javi goes to this island and it's just Lionel Messi in a dressing gown with a massive beer belly, just sat there. Chilling. I think Messi's going to enjoy post-retirement more than almost any other footballer in modern history. He's going to play with his dogs, play with his kids and chill with his wife. And just be on WhatsApp now and again, have the odd barbecue. I think Messi is going to be like so happy after football. If I've ever seen a footballer to whom football was everything, but also just a nine to five, it was Leo Messi. Yeah, I think so. I really think he'll walk away from it and just be done with it. Well, what else can you do? Chill. He's a chilled out dude. He's like such a, do you know, you look at like someone like a Gabriel Batistuta who loves his horses. I went back to Reconquista and just chilled out. I reckon Messi will be like Batistuta, just beloved and will vanish and just do his thing. When I was watching Avengers Endgame the other day, well, I texted you, didn't I? Yeah. So is it a spoiler to say the bit at the end with Captain America sat on the bench? Everyone in the world has seen that movie now. But I was literally the last person in the world who hadn't seen that movie. That's true. Yeah, that's true. In true Rye style, for people who don't know, I tend to wait on the really, really big ones when they land and then watch them way after everyone and then hit everyone up being like, oh my God, this bit in that movie. And they're like, yeah, we were talking about it six months ago. Yeah, you're that guy. The ones that I do watch straight away, like Bojack Horseman, no one's watched. So everyone's just, just sick of this shit. Yeah, I can't get into that. Because <laughs> it's a show about depression. Yeah. It's an animated show about a depressive horse. Yeah, I can't get into that. Oh, mate. It's like, it's the Venn diagram of everything I need. You <laughs> 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 don't have a very dark corridor there. No, it's meant to be amazing. But yeah. The bit in the end of Endgame, when Captain America sat on the bench, is what I imagine it's going to be like when Lionel Messi retires. The passing of the shield. The job done. Who does it go to? And I don't even want to speculate, but I'm just saying it's just, it's going to be that iconic, I think. It's quite an extraordinary thing because we haven't had a player like that retire in our era. Not like that. Like we, This is arguably the greatest person ever to do it. I would like to talk about this on a future podcast, the concept of retirement and what it means and what you felt when a player retired. Mm. The night that Zidane was about to retire the night before the 2006 World Cup final, knowing that'd be his last game for France, his last game, I went and watched highlights of his. And I'll sound really pathetic and cheesy now, but I actually had a kind of like, I had a dream that basically that I was walking along and I bumped into him and he was walking along before the final smoking a cigarette. Out by like my old school back in like Slough, like Thames Valley. And Zidane's just walking down the street, like in the dead of night before the final smoking a cigarette. And that was all, that was just the dream. I didn't even speak to him, I just saw him and I just thought to myself, there's something so sort of, he reminded me of like Frank Sinatra, Zidane. Like he was such a throwback. There was such a style and a class to him. It almost belonged to the kind of small screen, black and white cinema, cinema era. Mm. And I think the retirement of Messi is going to be a similar cultural event. It's not just going to be a footballing event. It'll be a cultural event. Mm. There'll be a kind of small lamentation because it's like Hemingway or Margaret Atwood hanging up their pen. People who have created that much greatness the only thing that should stop them in theory in brackets should, should be death, right? Like, and there is something tragic about people that created so much no longer being able to create it or not even that or having given everything. Yeah. See, I think the person that has probably come closest to that in my lifetime was Dennis Burkamp retiring. Wow. But I think that's also down to the fact that he played the majority of his career at Arsenal and retired at Arsenal. Yeah. That's quite rare now, I think, that you have a player who is that iconic, retire at an absolute top-level club. Especially Arsenal. Well, I say top-level club, Arsenal. Save the jokes. Also, there's an element of growing up with Bergkamp, but I didn't grow up with Messi, but I saw Messi evolve. And I remember Sid Lowe, the great Sid Lowe, wrote this article about Messi's hat-trick at the Bernabeu, and he was like, no, this guy's the real thing. And Sid Lowe was quite courageous to call that quite early. Mm. I mean, and Messi was 21 when he scored that hat-trick against um, Real. The last minute equalising the Bernabeu, like a hat-trick. Yeah. But there's always a moment when every great superhero emerges, right? And you have that in the movies as well. There's, a, there's always a scene where the superhero first does their thing. Like yeah. in Captain Marvel, it's actually in the um, endgame when she just turns up. Yeah. That astonishing scene at the end when like all those weapons are being fired by the villains onto Earth's surface and they stop firing. And then someone goes, something has entered the upper Earth atmosphere the upper atmosphere. And I feel like when Messi scored his hat trick against Real, he entered the upper atmosphere. Does that make sense? Musok, Wonga. It's almost like you're a poet. <laughs> that's how I felt about that's how I felt about it. Well, should we move on to our number nine? Let's do it. Do you want to say it on three? I uh, know because we're going to say different things. Because you're going to say the name, but I'm going to say the reputation. This is the one player in the world who you can name 
by the nickname as opposed to the actual name and everyone will know. Everyone will be like, it is done. What do you want to do the nickname? The Phenomenon. Yeah, it has to be. The Phenomenon. Ronaldo. R9. Oh my goodness. I'm emotional even thinking. Do you know what? I'm actually emotional thinking of all the number nines that I have loved. Gabriel Batistuta, George Weah, Marco Van Basten, Hernan Crespo, and Didier Drogba as well, Samuel Etu. The timing, the technique, the speed, the unpredictability, the presence, the aura, the aura above all. All of these players were extraordinary, but only one player in history has combined every single element of all those players, and it is Ronaldo. And there's a part of him as well, which I think really is one of the reasons I selected him as well, was that he had flaws. Yes. Yeah. And they cost him even further greatness, I think. He had his wilderness. If you look at the the arc, in fact, you know, you can argue, here's the thing, you can argue that Ronaldo, if you consider the hero's journey in literature, Ronaldo's career most closely mirrored the hero's journey. The quest, setting off, you have the mentor, you lose your prominence and you return to greatness. This is the hero's journey. Like Ronaldo obviously had those two and a half years, he loses the injury and returns significantly depleted in his physical powers, still manages to outpace Rio Ferdinand in a foot race (laughs) in the the early 2000s. I mean, to come back from injury and outpace Rio Ferdinand in a foot race and then to win the 2002 World Cup. An extraordinary, I mean, that arc, that creative arc, this is a guy that never won the Champions League so had things he didn't do, things he didn't achieve, but basically adapted his game to an astonishing level. I mean, if Ronaldo did not get injured, I think the only other person that would challenge him for the greatest player of all time would be Leo Messi. I think he was that good. This man was World Player of the Year three times. He was, world, he was the youngest ever World Player of the Year, I think, and was three times World Player of the Year by his mid-twenties. That is extraordinary. And here's the thing. He was three times World Player of the Year and it wasn't even close. Yeah. Wasn't even close. You know, there's like a moment in all superhero films, especially like the origin movies, where it kind of shows you how they get to become who they were, where all of a sudden they, they unleashed like a glimpse of their power for the first time. Yeah. What do you think Ronaldo's was? See, a lot of people talk about Compostela. Yeah, the Compostela goal is mine. Basically. Yeah, that, that's mine because it was the first time. If you think about announcement, it was like Kate Bush doing Wuthering Heights. When, when someone releases a piece like work like that, and it is so singular in its brilliance, or when Kendrick Lamar released Good Kid, Mad City, you know, I know I've used musical examples, but I want to talk about those moments when the entire attention of the world was fixed on one cultural point. When Ronaldo scores that goal against Compostela, Bobby Robson's face was how the entire world was feeling. Yeah. It's this goal where you'd seen elements of this brilliance before, but you had like almost like an old master there with Bobby Robson who had seen it all, remember? Yeah. He'd seen peak Maradona. He'd been on the end of Maradona's brilliance and villainy. And he stood there and he cannot believe what he has just seen. Like Bobby Robson doesn't react like that. No. Not just to anything. That was someone who had seen heroes before and he'd even seen villains, supervillains with Maradona, like we've mentioned. And he came up against the coach of the supervillain team in Beckenbauer in 1990. But I think this is the first time that Bobby Robson has seen something bordering on a superhero as a coach. And he coached some unbelievable players. And I think that's the thing for me that it's so telling Bobby's reaction to this. And I quote this a lot because, you know, I'm I'm a huge Bobby Robson fan. New listeners to the show may not have read the piece I wrote on our website. If you go to stadio.football, there's a, there's a piece I wrote a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, maybe on Bobby Robson. He means a lot to me, that guy. And I trust his reactions in things, even though I never knew him. And it's like watching, like I say, an old master who has seen it all. And it's just like, yeah, this person has it. They absolutely have it. That is such a beautiful description of what Ronaldo means. I can only add to that a couple of things I heard throughout the season. There's a sense when a superhero emerges, the legend grows, right? So it was like when The Who went to watch Jimi Hendrix for the first time in Notting Hill. Yeah. And Pete Townshend apparently turned to his mates and he was like, we're fucked, lads. Yeah. That sense of like, that sense of awe. And when Ronaldo broke through, there were all these quotes coming out. Before I'd seen him play, there was, I think he played against Atletico Madrid that season. He beat them 5-2 and he scored four goals. Yeah. And the centre-back came off the pitch. He said, He'd marked him and they interviewed him afterwards. 
best ever post-match interview for a defender. He said, um, what was it like marking Ronaldo? He said, I feel like I've just marked four men. Wow. These quotes were coming out before, and this is before I'd seen him actually play. And then I saw the footage of that season, 47 goals he scored that season. Mm. And these were not normal goals. These were goals where, and I think it's fair to say this, these were goals where it's the first time I'd ever seen a footballer, an attacking footballer, who was a genuine threat 60 yards from goal. Yeah. Like, if he built up any type of acceleration 60 yards from goal, everyone was in trouble. And Ronaldo reminded me of that famous t-shirt slogan, look busy, Jesus is coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ronaldo's coming. Ronaldo's coming, yeah. Has to be, right? You know, I think that was such a lovely homage to the great phenomenon. Thank you. Thank you for that. I, you know, I'm glad to have done this podcast to be able to say these things about my heroes because I look at this team sheet and think, I'm not sure there's a team in the universe that is beating these lot. Like as great as the supervillains are, I look at this team and think the supervillains were terrifying. They are terrifying. But this team inspires awe. Let's recap our superhero yeah. 11 before we get into the substitutes. Ika Casillas in goal, a back four of Javier Zanetti, Lillian Turam, John Charles, Paolo Maldini, a midfield three of Obdulio Varela, Andres Iniesta and Johan Cruyff. At a front three of Lionel Messi, Alfredo Di Stefano, and Ronaldo. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, that is sensational. Now we need to get onto our subs. So we've got Lev. That's going to be hard. We've got Lev Yashin in goal. Yeah. Cafu. If we're going to pick a right back, yes, it's Cafu. Because remember, we've got Lillian Turam and Paolo Maldini who are flexible. That's great. Centre back on the bench. Puyol. Ryan's not sure. Ryan's not sure. Bobby Moore. Bobby Moore, wasn't it? I think Bobby Moore. Do you know what it is? It's the technical ability that wins it over. But also I think that Poyle had a villainous side to him as well. Whereas Moore didn't, Moore didn't actually. No. Bobby Moore is a kind of guy you can imagine driving the school bus. Like there is such an integrity yeah. to Bobby Moore. There's <laughs> such an integrity. So we've got three subs. So we need to go to midfield. Yes. I think you have a pick for midfield. I'm sorry, Clarence but it's Socrates. I think both. Let's do both then, because you know what? They both would add so much to a dressing room like that. So we've got f- one, two, three, four, five subs. We need two more from the front. This is hard, I think. I've got one I want to put in. Left wing, Gento. Oh, Musa. This is troubling me. I just think that dude delivered record number of European Cup Champions League final appearances never ever failed to deliver like never ever failed but that's my guy like i don't i'm not i'm not gonna go to i'm not gonna die on the hill don't get me wrong it's just like i think it's a really good shout my other one is like obvious but he's my he's my other guy my other one is pushkas that's three madrid guys but pushkas what he did for hungary he was so ahead like he led them like he led see there are two people here which i'm concerned aren't in the discussion go for it and that's george weyer and Samuel Eto'o. I mean, they're both astonishing. They were on my list. The other one I had on the list as a potential was Luis Figo. Figo was my supervillain, actually. Was he? Yes. Figo oh, yeah. was my... Oh, actually, no, he has to be because he went to the dark side. And, and made a banking advert about it. <laughs> made a banking advert saying the slogan, sometimes change is for the better. Luis <laughs> <laughs> Figo, basically. Luis Figo was just behind Stoichkov and actually... I was looking through my notes the other day and I thought, you know what? Figo's lucky not to be in that supervillain 11. Do you know what? I'm pulling rank here because you threw Francesco Gento into the mix. Yeah. I'm going to put George Ware in. I'd put Ware over Gento, to be honest. Would you? Well, you can't put Ware over Pushkas. Ware was an astonishing leader and I think belongs in this squad, for sure. I think Ware, I think, I think Ware's there. Etu's unlucky not to, Etu's unlucky not to get in. So where in Pushkas? All right, so we've got our subs. Our substitutes are Lev Yashin, Cafu, Bobby Moore, Socrates, Clarence Sadoff, Ferenc Pushkas, George Weyer. That is unbelievable. We need to go for our manager now. Oh my God. See, they're going to come for me for this. I have four on the list, but I think one of them was too villainous, as great as he was, to be in this. I had one. I had one. Renus Mikkels. He's on my list as well. He's my guy. The other, I had one, I had one other. Go on, Jock Steen. Oh, really? Yeah, 
Jocelyn literally died for football. He died on the bench in a qualifier and won yeah, the first European Cup for a British team with that team against that Inter. I had a couple of others to add. I had Arrigo Saki. Wow. Okay, yeah. And I had Bob Paisley. Pay, the run Paisley went on. And just did, he just did nine years and then bounced. Six, and nine, six titles and three European Cups in nine years. Is he still the, most, the second most successful manager, uh, British manager of all time, but he only managed for nine years behind Alex Ferguson? Bob Paisley is extraordinary shout. I mean, Ferguson obviously had the villain element too. That's he needs thing. a shout, Alex Ferguson, purely because does, of what he, he does, did. He does. But I think he, he does, had too he... much of a villainy about him. Yeah, like, like there's no, if we're talking about the greatest manager, the greatest club manager of all time. No, it's Alex like, Ferguson. It, it's, yeah. it's Sir Alex Ferguson, right? If we're talking about the criteria for this, and Joxley had other issues as well. He had other challenges in his career, which, so he didn't make my, he wasn't my guy in the end because there's other reasons why Joxley would be discounted because a manager, there's, there's, there's the aura, but there's also like what you're like off the field. And Renus Mikels for me, was this transcendent, the fact that he did it for Holland and the fact that he won with, I mean, Bob Paisley was incredible. He also inherited incredible pieces, right? Bob Paisley, anyone that's read my books or my work knows how much the esteem I hold him in. To me, he was second only actually to Sir Alex Ferguson among British managers. And was, there wasn't much in it. There wasn't much of a difference in it. For me, it was almost like Renus Mikhail's to go and take a team, a Dutch team, that had historically always had this inferiority complex towards West Germany and to beat them and to basically slay every psychological dragon the Dutch had, both at club and country level. The thing about Mikels is the four stints as Netherlands coach. Oh, that's interesting. From the first time he took over the Netherlands until he's the end of his final stint, it was 18 years. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, he was, I think he was FIFA's coach of the century as well. And there's a reason for that. The run that he went on at club and country level, to me, it's him. Like if we don't, and it's funny because actually another guy that I was going to mention this was, was Wenger because Wenger is loved and adored by fellow managers. I think if you're going to look at it in this kind of superhero, supervillain, delving a little bit into sci-fi territory here, I think if Wenger's in there, he's Yoda. Yes, that's right. That's right. He just appears, says something super philosophical. Yeah. But actually, Renus Mikkels is actually more of the Princess Leia. Becomes she's no, he's no, he is he's General Era Princess Leia. Yeah, Princess Leia basically just runs game. Yeah, he's like he's basically like he's the General Era Princess Leia, who actually I think is my favorite Princess Leia. Yeah, same actually. Yeah, and also it's like we were saying before that kind of underdog element, but succeeding. Yeah, and I really love the fact that that story started with seventy four losing in the final to Germany with a side that were the best side in the world and should have won and should have won comfortably actually. And the fact that he then came back again and again and again with the Netherlands, beat Germany in the semi-final in 88. Yeah. And even though, and as good as the Soviet Union were in 88 though, yeah, it was like, this is it really. It kind of felt inevitable in a way. It was almost too perfect an arc. They had actually lost the Soviet Union in the first game of that tournament. And there's, there's a symmetry there, which you haven't really seen. I mean, you, the only thing close to that is when Spain drew with Italy, first game of Euro 2012, and then beat them 4-0 in the final. But to lose to the team you face again in the final, it's like being confronted with your footballing mortality. Like, Renus Mikels basically experienced the hero's journey in the space of one tournament. Mm-hmm. But also, as a metaphor of his entire... It's like Euro 88 was a metaphor of his entire career. Yeah. Beginning in 74, as you say, with that loss, which shouldn't have lost, and then ending with the kind of redemptive victory. So that arc, for me, that arc makes him, that makes him my guy. All right, let's do it. He's the manager. Oh my goodness. This is kind of, this is kind of amazing. I might cry. We still got to pick the stadium. I've got a confession for you. I didn't have a clear choice for a stadium. Well, there's two things we need to address from last week. First of all, I think someone came up with a better shout for the stadium than we did. And someone said the San Siro. Which I think is a really good shout. And their reasoning, I can't remember who it was. Apologies. We're going we're gonna to do a recap from both of these on the next episode where we'll read out suggestions from people and I'll dig it out and, and credit them on Thursday. But they were totally right. The supervillain kind of HQ is always this high-tech or it looks 
like super well designed, you know, beautiful design. And the San Siro is perfect for that. It looks like a super villain base. Do you know what it looks like? I was watching, it's gonna, don't judge me. Well, you can if you like. I was watching Alien versus Predator the other day. I've got a real obsession with bad films that have got amazing concepts in the middle of them, right? Alien vs. Predator is a bad film, but the concept around it is amazing, which is basically like, mm. you know, these two, the Predators, the heroes, and the aliens, the villains, and they've got, they basically fight in the world's first ever pyramid, right? And the San Siro basically looks like football's equivalent of the world's first ever pyramid. That's huge. It, That's it a looks huge like shout, it, yeah. Does that make sense? It looks yeah. like the world, it looks like an alien superstructure that has landed yeah. on planet Earth. Yeah. And that's why I think, yeah, the San Siro is an incredible shout. Yeah, I think we actually got the stadium wrong. I, think I agree what, with I think I what we were thinking about for the stadium was, was wrong. Too, too obvious, yeah. No, I don't think it was obvious. I think that we were just going for a wrong vibe. We were going for a really intimidating atmosphere. Whereas actually, if you think about it, most, you know, the Death Star isn't an intimidating atmosphere. It's almost too quiet and yeah. cold. And it's, it's intimidating from its architectural point of view as opposed to its atmospheric point of view there's not people hammering on the side of you know it's not like the uh, what's the prison in Batman Begins you know the one that you have to kind of make climb up the wall oh and he goes and trains with Ra's al Ghul yeah. yeah yeah on the mountaintop yeah the Ali Sami M is like that whereas the San Siro is more like the Death Star I agree that I completely you know what this is perfect okay the San Siro I think is the great shot but what was your shout for the so I was thinking the stadium the Westfalen Stadion it's the best, but it's not the most high tech. Do you know what? I love this so much. Do you know what? Can I say to you one thing, Ryan? I'm not even debating that. I don't think there's any other candidate. If you told Borussia Dortmund that the first game back in the new stadium would not be a Borussia Dortmund home game, it would actually be this game. The most important game in the universe's history. If you told them that, can you imagine the pre-match hype? Can you imagine like the week before the game would just be absolute joy. Like all the clubs of that area would come together, the fan bases, the Gladbach fans, the Schalke fans, they'd come together and it would just be a week of revelry building up to the game. And there'd be this whole chat about, oh my gosh, have you got a ticket? Have you got a ticket? Oh no, no. Dortmund season ticket holders got priority. And they'd bring all that energy. Oh my goodness. It would be absolutely incredible. That's and my you, pick. And you could actually argue that that club, that team could play in those colours for that. You could say, listen, do you know what? Because that's such a special stadium and it's so associated with the yellow wall, you will be the yellow wall on the field. Well, we're going to cover that on the next episode. We're going to go into team kits. We're going to go into who's the captain. Because I've got team kits designed, you know, in my head. I bet you have. So I've got, have I. And it's so grim. My team kit for the supervillains I'm really proud of it. I bet you are. I'm really proud of it. And we're going to go through some suggestions from other people. So thanks to everyone who's already submitted their Supervillain 11. You can email us, stadiofootball at gmail.com with your superhero 11s if you want to. And we'll try and pick some to read out and we'll go into the captains and we'll go into who we think will win on Thursday. But let's recap the ultimate superhero 11. Can I read this out? Of course you can. <laughs> and we're so proud to welcome our team of superheroes. The first game back after quarantine, <laughs> Rinus Mikas leads out the substitutes first. Lev Yashin, Cafu, Bobby Moore, Clarence Sadoff, Socrates, Pushkas, George Weyer. Starting 11, playing in a formation of 4-3-3. Goalkeeper, San Ike Casillas. <laughs> right back, Javier Zanetti. Centre-back, Lilian Terrain, centre-back, <laughs> John Charles, left-back, Paolo Maldini, defence midfield, Abdullah Varela, centre midfield, Andres Iniesta, centre midfield, Johan Cruyff, left wing, Alfredo Di Stefano, oh my goodness, right wing, Leo Messi, number nine, centre-forward, the phenomenon, Ronaldo. <laughs> you did it so much better than I read out the supervillains. <laughs> gentle folk, gentle folk all around the universe. I think I can hear the Avengers music. Can you hear it? I mean, honestly, this is a team. You know, you get like your last meal 
I said, you know what, scratch my last meal, get me a bottle of red and let me watch this team. That's my last meal, a bottle of red wine watching these lot. That's a treat. I'm so proud of this. I'm so proud of it because it's, you know what it is? Because it's beautiful. It's like, it's actually beautiful. We need to get out of here. Let's do it. Um, you got, well, okay. I say we need to get out of here. We can't get out of here. We need to get off this podcast, but we yeah, can't get out of here because we're still at home and we can't go anywhere. But we're, we need to metaphorically get out of here. We do, absolutely. It's been a long we one. We are going to make sure you download the FOTMOB app on iOS or Android. And we're going to do a follow-up piece like we did with the supervillains. Yeah. With a little bit of thinking behind it. That'll go up in the next day or two. Yeah. Then on Thursday's episode, we will pair the two sides against each other. Oh my goodness. Discuss who will win in this imaginary game and we'll read out a few suggestions. Right. If you do listen on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating and review. It really helps us grow the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Stadio. You can follow us on Instagram at Stadio Football. The website is stadio.football. Had a great piece go up by Paul Scratton the other day. Yes. Six weeks in springtime. Superb Yeah, it's lovely. I'm going to do a piece this week about the music element of Stadio. I'll go up sometime this week. We understand that everyone's kind of home at the moment, so we're going to play out on some more uplifting stuff for the next few weeks. And, you know, we are sending all our love out to all of everyone who's listening. So we're going to be playing out on Emerson, sending all my love out. And we'll be back on Thursday. We will indeed. See you then. Take it easy. Back